We're talking about grandma did what? What we've been doing is we've been walking through this series. We started in the book of Matthew chapter 1. And in Matthew chapter 1, you see the lineage of Jesus. Now, it's not every family member he's ever had. It's not his entire family tree. But you see a lot of names in Matthew chapter 1, verses 1 through 17. And in the midst of all of those names, almost every one of those names is the name of a man. Because during that time, and, and even now really, lineage is traced through the fathers and the husbands in a family. But, breaking with tradition, Matthew went out of his way to include the names of several women in that lineage of Jesus, which is a pretty big deal in itself. But then when you start looking at who those women were and how God worked in their lives, it's an even bigger deal because there's some messed up stuff that go on in the lives of those ladies. And these are the people who were the grandmas of Jesus. In fact, the first week, do you guys remember the name that we talked about the very first week? Tamar, that's right. Tamar had all kinds of stuff going on. She married a guy, her husband died, she married his younger brother. That guy died and, and she went through all kinds of stuff just so she could have a son. And yet scripture tells us that through all of the junk that she went through and the tricks that she played, she's still one of the grandmas of Jesus. And what about the second grandma that we talked about? Rahab, yes. Say it with confidence, Sarah. You got this. Rahab's the second one. Rahab, she was a prostitute in the city of Jericho. And when the nation of Israel came to the city of Jericho and they sent spies in because they were going to take over the city and, and basically conquer it, when they went in there, these two spies, Rahab hid those spies from the king and from the king's men and kept them safe and kind of made a deal with them that said, hey, if, if, you'll, if, if, I, if I take care of you, if I make sure you don't get caught, when you guys come in and you conquer this city, I want you to promise me that my family's going to be okay. So they strike up this deal, and as you follow through the account of Rahab, they come in, the, the, the spies tell her, hang this scarlet thread out of the window so that when we come into the city, we know not to attack your house. And that's exactly what she did. And because she kept all of her family safe in her house when this attack happened, her family was saved, and their lives were spared, and she became a part of the nation of Israel. And she got married to a guy, and we're actually going to walk through that in a couple weeks here as we're walking through the book of Ruth, who is who, who we were on last week. Ruth is the third grandma. If you've missed any of these, and you've got a phone or a computer, we've got a podcast on, on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and Amazon. You can go back and catch up if you've missed any of this so far. Just search KF Student podcast and check all that out. So tonight we're at the book of Ruth and that's where we started last week. We walked through the first five verses of that book and there's a lot going on in that book. Do you remember who Ruth's uh, mother-in-law is? Naomi, that's right. In that first five verses, Naomi's really the, the main name that you see over and over because in the, in the book of Ruth, even though we're going to talk more about her a little bit more tonight, and especially as we keep moving forward, Naomi is kind of where this whole account starts in the book of Ruth. So I'm going to ask you guys what I ask you every time that we walk through a book of the Bible, okay? Who wrote the book of Ruth? You're right. We have no idea who wrote the book of Ruth. Remember, it's not like the New Testament books where the answer, you know, 75% of the time you can say Paul and the answer is correct because he says he's the one writing it. In the book, in the Old Testament, in some of those books, especially the books of history, we don't always know who that author is. So here we're just getting a historical account of Ruth and what happened to her family. So we don't know who wrote it. Now, what we do have an idea of is when it was written. Do you know when that was? 
around 1010 BC. Absolutely. Around 1010, really a long, long, long time ago. And do you remember the two key themes that we talked about that we see in this book? Kindness and redemption. Do you have notes in front of you? Because you're doing a great job right now. That's awesome. See, it pays to take notes. You know the answers to the questions when I ask them. Kindness and redemption. You're going to see that over and over and over in this book. In fact, you start to see a little bit of it tonight. Now, just a quick recap. Last week, we walked through the first five verses. Let me, let me run down real quick again what happened last week. You've got Naomi and her husband, and they've got two sons. They live in a place called Judah. The problem is there's a famine there in Judah, so they don't have any food. So they decide to get up and they move to another city by the name or another place by the name of Moab. What's that? Well, they could go there, but it wasn't a great idea for them to go there because there was bad blood between those two people groups. So for them to pack up and to move to a place where they probably weren't wanted, that took a lot for them to do that, which means that famine had to be pretty bad. So they get there and they're living there. Originally, it told us they were going to sojourn there, which means to do what? Stay somewhere temporarily. Absolutely. But if you read the language in verses one through five, it says they sojourned there, then they stayed there, then they lived there. So they actually planted their family there. And after they get there, Naomi's husband dies. But she's still got her two sons. So back in that time, uh, a woman's main way of, of being taken care of was through her husband or through her sons. So even though her husband's dead, which is extremely sad, she still has her two sons that can help take care of her and provide for her. So her two sons grow up. Her two sons get married. And they've got wives by the name of Ruth and Orpah. I always read that and my mind says Oprah, but that's not right. It's Orpah. Okay, make, make sure we're, we're clear on that one. They get married. And then it says after they get married, guess what happens to her two sons? Dead. Yeah, exactly. We don't know why. We don't know how. Scripture doesn't tell us that. But now Naomi has lost her husband and she's lost both of her sons, which means she's in a bad spot. Because as a woman during that time, she couldn't go out and get a part-time job. She couldn't go out and start providing for herself and providing for her daughters-in-law. She was in a desperate situation, and now she's kind of like stuck and doesn't know what to do here. And that's where we're picking up in verse chapter 6. That's what's been going on in the life of this family so far. Naomi has found herself in a place where, quite frankly, she probably didn't see a whole lot of hope in her situation. And the reason we talked about that matters for us is because sometimes we look at things that are going on in our lives and we think that those situations are absolutely hopeless. We think something's happening, you know, maybe, maybe there's a problem in your family or maybe somebody's sick or maybe a parent's lost a job or there's something going on and you think, God, I, I don't see how this is going to work out. This doesn't make any sense. And yet what we saw last week and what we continue to see in this book is that it doesn't matter how hopeless it seems things. When it comes to God, there is always hope. It doesn't mean everything's going to work out the way we want it to, but it'll work out the way that God has planned. And there's always hope. And we start to see some of that hope as we finish out chapter one tonight. So I'm going to ask you to do what I always ask you to do. We're going to read Ruth 1, 6 through 22. In honor of reading God's word, I'm going to ask you to stand and follow along with me as we read this. Here's what it says. Ruth chapter one, starting in verse six. 
Then she arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab. For she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. So she set out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each of you to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you, in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. And they said to her, No, we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters. Go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. And if I should say I have hope, even if I should have a husband this night and should bear sons, would you therefore wait till they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter for me, to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. And she said, See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die and there I will be buried. May the Lord do so to me and more also if anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more. So the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the woman said, is this, and the women said, is this Naomi? She said to them, do not call me Naomi, call me Mara. For the Almighty has dealt, with, dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? So Naomi returned and Ruth, the Moabite, her daughter-in-law with her, who returned from the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. Let's pray. God, we thank you. We thank you that we can be here tonight. We thank you that we can come together and, and we can spend just a few minutes looking at what we can learn from your word. God, I pray that as we walk through this tonight, Help us to see what it is you want us to learn, what it is you want us to take away from this. Help us to walk out of here different because we've been in your presence tonight. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. So there's a couple different things we're going to see in this tonight, okay, as we walk through this. And, and it's things that matter for us because there's some things that we see Ruth doing and we see Naomi doing in here that we tend to do some of those same things. And the first thing that we see in these first couple verses is this. And it's what we've already talked about. It's the idea that no matter what your situation is, there is always hope. Listen to verse 6 and 7 again. Then she arose, this is Naomi, with her daughters-in-law, to return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. So she set out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. So here you've got Naomi. She's taken her two daughters-in-law and she's leaving Moab to head back to Judah. So she's saying, okay, we, we've got this place that we came from over 10 years ago. We saw that in the first five verses. They've been in this country of Moab for over 10 years. 
And now that her husband is dead and her two sons-in-law are dead, or excuse me, her two sons are dead, she's just got her mother's-in-law, her daughter's-in-law. I got to get on my word straight tonight. She's got just these two ladies with her and she's picking them up and she's saying, okay, we're going to go back. We're going to go back where I came from. And the only reason she can do that is because she hears that the famine is ending. It tells us right there that she's in the fields in Moab. And we'll get into this a little bit more as we go through the book of Ruth. But one of the things that, that farmers did, people in those towns, is when there were, were orphans and widows, as they were gathering grains in their fields, they would actually leave some of it so that the orphans and widows could come along and have grain and have food for themselves. It, it, it was kind of a form of charity, kind of a form of, of taking care of them. So it looks like even in Moab, they're already doing that. They're near those fields, yet she hears that there's food in Judah again. So that famine that drove her family to this foreign land, now it's gone. And now it looks like she recognizes that God is providing for his people again. Look at what she says there. She says in verse 5 or 6 that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. Remember, she's a widow. She doesn't have any sons. Her main concern right now is where am I going to live? How am I going to eat? So she's heard that God has visited Judah. God has made the fields grow again. He's given them grain. And years after she has gone away from her home, after the loss of her husband, after the loss of her sons, after all of this struggle and after all of this uncertainty, we see that Naomi still has hope in God. Because that's exactly what she says. She says the Lord had visited his people and given them food. There's still some kind of hope within her that the God that she served when she was in Judah still cares, still takes care of him or his people, still takes care of her, still provides when his people need provision. She has hope. She has hope in who God is. She has hope in what God says he's going to do. And that's something that every one of us needs. Every single one of us, when we've got things going on in our lives, when, when we've got situations that we don't understand or things that are painful or things that just really, frankly, don't make any sense. A lot of times we get in those situations and we just wonder why. Why is this happening? I can't see how this is going to end well. I can't see how anything good is going to come out of what's going on right now. And yet in every single one of those situations, we can have hope in God. We can have hope that God still has a plan for your life, even when you can't see it. You can have hope that God's going to provide for you and take care of you, even when you don't know how it's going to happen. It may not be the way that you want but it will always be the way that you need because that's what God does. There's hope in who he is. There's hope in the promises that he's made in scripture. There's hope in his son, Jesus Christ, who died on the cross for your sin and rose from the grave. There is always hope in God. Hope that he can forgive you and I of our sin. Hope that we can have a life that honors him when we put our faith and trust in him and when we follow him. We always have that hope if we turn to God when we have those situations happening in our lives. That's exactly what's going on with Naomi here. There is always hope and Naomi sees a glimmer of it. She sees there is food where there was no food over a decade ago. God's providing. 
we can have that same kind of hope when we put our faith and trust in Jesus. To know that no matter how long our situation lasts, no matter how bad it seems like it is, there is always hope because God is always there. Don't forget that. There is always hope no matter what you're facing. But then it goes on here. And Naomi decides to do something that quite a few of us do when we're going through something stressful, something hard. Listen to what happens in verse 8. It says, But Naomi said to her, da- her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each of you to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. One of the things that I know I have a tendency to do, and quite honestly, I bet a lot of us in this room do, is when you're going through a difficult situation, when you're going through a tough time, you start pushing people away. Because you you don't want other people to know what's going on in your life. I mean, if, if you see what happened right here, you've got Naomi, you've got these two young ladies who were married to her sons, and they say, hey, if you're leaving, we're going with you. And as they start traveling, she stops and she turns to them and she says, no, I want you to go back to your mother's house. Now, there's probably a couple different reasons that she's doing this. One of the reasons is because maybe she's trying to take care of them. Because she she goes through and she makes this argument. She says, you need to go, says the Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you in the house of her husband. Now, remember, her husband, those girls, their husbands were her sons. So they're dead. So when she says, find rest in the house of your husband, she's not talking about the one that they were married to. She's saying, you need to go back to your mother's house so that you can find a new husband. So that you can find someone else who's going to take care of you, somebody else that can provide for you. She's basically saying, hey, I love you, but you need to go away. She's telling them to to kind of, in a kind way, get lost. And I don't think she means that in an ugly way, but she's saying you need to go back because if they stay with her, they're going to face the same struggle that Naomi faces. They're not going to be able to take care of themselves. They're not going to be able to provide for themselves. So Naomi urges them to go and she appeals to God to be with these two women. And it says they they lift up their voices and they wept. Because when you depart from somebody you love, it's a sad thing. I still remember when when Miss Kathleen and I, when we decided, you know what, we needed to go and we needed to learn better how to study God's word and we needed to learn how to teach God's word. And and we lived in Jacksonville right across the, the river here, right across the state line when we did that. And there was a time where we packed up our entire house and said, hey, we're moving from Jacksonville, Florida to Louisville, Kentucky. But at the time, we were serving as volunteers in a church in a student ministry. And there was a group of students that we had grown really close to. And while it was a very exciting time for us, we were packing up. We were moving 12 hours away. We were finally going to see snow in the winter because that's the way God made it and that's the way it should be. And we got to enjoy all of that. But at the same time, we had about a dozen high schoolers who were there the last day that we were packing up our house and loading everything in the U-Haul. And they're playing with our two boys. Michaela wasn't born yet. Nathan was, what, like three years old? Jared, I think you were like six months old. I mean, you, were, you weren't even crawling around yet. You're just sitting there. Jared was a cute little baby, y'all. Just leave that right there. Oh, yeah, you can aw. But you know what? 
They were there all day long. Even when we closed the U-Haul truck, even when we made sure there was nothing else in the house, they were sitting in our living room with no furniture, with no air conditioner. This was in June, by the way. It wasn't cold inside or outside, and they wouldn't leave. It got to the point that when we got in the truck and pulled out of the driveway, they're standing in the driveway waving and they're crying and we're crying because parting is sad. Even when there's an exciting element to it, even when there's something we're looking forward to, when you part ways with somebody you love, somebody that you've invested time in, invested your life in, it's a sad thing. And that's exactly what Naomi is doing right here. If you've never had to move, if you've never had to leave friends and family, let me tell you, it it can be a gut-wrenching thing. And that's exactly what's happening right here. These women, they've, they've lived life together. They're family. They've loved the same people. They've loved each other. And now Naomi says, I need you to go away. With maybe the best intention, she's trying to protect them from what may come. But Naomi is pushing people away from her in the hardest time of her life. Because she feels like she needs to do this by herself. And and we do the same thing. But look at what happens here in these next couple verses. Verse 10. They said to her, no, we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters. Go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. And if I should say I I have hope, even if I should have a husband this night and should bear sons, would you therefore wait till they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters. For it is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. So Naomi tries to help them see the the bleakness of the future they're going to have if they stay with her. She's talking about this idea, hey, I don't have any more sons for you to marry, and even if I got married tonight and I had a son, are you going to wait for him to grow up? so that you can marry him. She's referring to what's known as as a a liverite marriage, liverite marriage, if I say that right. And if you remember, that's what happened when we talked about Tamar a couple weeks ago, that she married one guy. And the tradition was that if you died and you had not had a son, then your wife was supposed to then marry your younger brother so that you could have a son and carry on your dead husband's name. So that family line would continue. That was a tradition that was held back then, and that is what she's talking about. She's saying, hey, my oldest boys have died. Are you going to wait for me to have another kid? And then are you going to wait another 16, 18, 20-something years for him to actually grown up? No, you're not going to do that. You, you need to go. You need to make sure you're taken care of. And in verse 15, what we see is their decision here. It says in verse 15, and she said, see, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. Naomi is still trying to push Ruth away. Naomi's saying, hey, Orpah, she's gone. She she cried, she kissed me, she's gone back to her parents' house. She has a good chance of having a new life and being taken care of. She's saying, Ruth, you need to do the same thing. But look at what Ruth says here in verse 16. But Ruth said, do not urge me to leave you or return from following you. 
For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there will I be buried. May the Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said, no more. So Orpah leaves. She goes back to her family. But with Ruth, we see an unwavering devotion to Naomi here. She's lost everything. She's lost her father-in-law. She's lost her husband. Now she's lost her brother-in-law. She's lost her sister-in-law. And yet she is still willing to give up everything that she still has. They're living in Moab. They're living where she is from. She knows the culture there. She knows the people there. She knows the gods that they worship. And yet what she tells Naomi here is that she's going to give all of that up because of her love for Naomi. What an incredible reminder that is for us that when we face struggles in our lives, we don't have to face them by ourselves. And quite often we choose to do just that. Too often we decide that that, when things are painful, we think we've got to put up a strong front because we don't want people to know the junk that's going on in our lives. We don't want them to know what we're struggling with. You don't want to let people inside. You don't want to let let them see that that there's hurt that you feel moment by moment. And man, we, we are good at doing this and we do it in different ways. Some of us lie. When you've got junk going on in your life and and you're hurting and you don't know what you're doing and you don't know why God's letting this happen in your life and somebody says, hey, how are you doing today? And you look at him and go, I'm good. How are you? Straight up lie. I know because when my mom passed away a year and a half ago, more than one person would ask me walking through the church halls, hey, how are you doing? And my response is, I'm good. Because you don't want people to see the hurt that is there. You don't want people to see how vulnerable you are and the questions that you have. So we lie. Some of us just do what Naomi did. And we actively try to push people away. We we get rude. We get mean or we just get quiet. Because we don't want people to see inside. And yet what we see right here, what we see with Ruth and what she's doing, she's showing us something incredibly important. She's showing us that you and I, in the midst of our hurt, there are people that are ready and willing to walk alongside of you. To hold your hand. To cry with you. To pray for you. To pray with you. People that God has placed in your life that love you so much that they want to be there for you. And they do that because that's what God does. More often than not, you need to understand God loves you more than anything. And the way that he shows his love to you more times than not is he does it through the people in your life. The people that have a relationship with him, that know what it means to be forgiven, that know what it means to experience love and grace, and that flows out to you. And those are the people that God quite often surrounds us with, and he puts those people in your life so that when you give the answer, hey, I'm good, thanks for asking, they can look at you and say, no, how are you really doing? And let me tell you, that's a big deal in your life. To have somebody that loves you that much. I got, I got a big, big red bearded man in the back that asks me that question all the time. When he says, how you doing? I'll say, I'm good. He'll say, he'll stop me. 
and say, no, how are you really doing? That's what God does. God puts people in your life that show you his love because they want to walk alongside of you. They want to be there for you. They want to pray with you. They want to cry with you. They're people that genuinely care about you. And whether you realize it or not, guys, some of those people are in this room tonight. And you may not even know their name yet. When we come together as a group, every single week this group looks different. Every single week it is no accident that is the group that is in the room. God puts this group together. God puts you around the people that can show you the love of God in your life. The people that will be there for you when you are going through all of the junk that makes no sense that will stand next to you and hold you up when you need that in your life. The people that will ask you, no, how are you really doing? That's what's going on here with Naomi and Ruth. We are seeing right here that we don't have to struggle alone. We don't have to wonder what God is doing on our own because God didn't make us to do it by ourselves. You need to open your eyes to the people that God has placed in your life and you need to let them walk alongside of you. Let them show you God's love. Naomi does that. She finally stops pushing Ruth away and she accepts what Ruth says. Ruth says, I will go where you go. I will die where you die. Your God will be my God. I will be there with your people. I will be buried where you are. And if anything changes from what I'm saying right now, let God take me out. Because that's how serious she was about being there for her mother-in-law. God puts people in our lives who are willing to do just that. We simply have to stop pushing them away and let them actually speak the love of God into our life. Look at what happens in verse 19. So the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the woman said, is this Naomi? She said to them, do not call me Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? So Naomi returned and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, with her who returned from the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. So Naomi gives in, stops pushing Ruth away, and the two of them go back to Judah, back to Bethlehem, where Naomi originally came from. Now she's not alone in this uncertain future that she faces. Ruth's presence, it doesn't remove the uncertainty from Naomi's life, but it removes the loneliness. And there's one more thing that I hope you see here in these last couple verses that I think are incredibly important for us to pick up on. And it's this. If you look at Naomi's words here, Naomi sees the problems in her life as something that God's done to her. She thinks God's angry. She thinks God's bitter with her. She even says those words that God has dealt bitterly with her and he's testified against her. What's happened here is Naomi has let her circumstances determine how she receives her relationship with God. She's let the bad things happening in her life, let she, she's decided that, you know what, these things have happened because God's mad at me. God's angry with me. And because God's angry with me, God has, has passed judgment on me. He's dealt bitterly with me. And because of all of this, God, God 
maybe doesn't even love me. Those are my words, not hers. But what she's done is she's let her circumstances determine how she sees her relationship with God. And so many people do that. So many people let their feelings and their situations serve as the lens through, through which you view God. God, I, I see you, but I see you as the God who let this bad thing in my life happen. God, I see you as the God who's, who's angry with me or who's upset with me. And because of that, you're doing all of these things in my life. And that's quite frankly why people get angry with God. And people ask questions like, God, why did you let this happen? God, if you really love me, you would fix my parents' marriage. God, if you really love me, you wouldn't have let my grandfather die. God, if you really love me, and, and you name whatever comes next. And people let their circumstances determine how they view their relationship with God. But it's exactly the opposite of what God calls a disciple of Jesus to do. If you put your faith and trust in Jesus... Your circumstances shouldn't be the lens through which you view your relationship with God. Your relationship with God should be the lens through which you view your circumstances. Who you know God is, what you know about he what you know about what he has told us in his word about who he is and the promises that he makes and the consistency that is God, that should view that should be how you view your circumstances. Not the other way around. Now, don't, don't get me wrong. There are times where God does let us experience hard times. Scripture talks about them. It refers to them as trials. And there's a couple different places. We're not going to read them, but you can write these references down. In the book of James, chapter uh, 1, verses 2 through 4. In the book of 1 Peter, chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. And 1 Peter, chapter 2, verses 18 through 25. All of those passages talk about how God allows us to go through trials, but he allows us to go through those trials so that we will draw closer to him. That's what those passages talk about. That James passage, it goes on and it says, consider it all joy, my brothers, when you face trials of various kinds. Because in those moments, you're not relying on the lens of your circumstance, you're relying on the lens of who God is. And that is how you view your circumstance. And that's that's what Naomi has lost sight of here. Because the circumstances in your life, they're going to change. From week to week, from month to month, year to year, sometimes from day to day. And, and you guys know this, you'll have one day where you feel great on top of the world, and the next day it feels like everything has gone wrong. God doesn't go up and down like that. God is consistent. Scripture tells us, who God is over and over. It tells us that he is unchanging. It tells us that he is full of love and grace and mercy. It tells us that he loves every single one of us that would put our faith and trust in him so much that he let his son die on the cross for us to pay the penalty for our sin. And that same scripture tells us that he offers us forgiveness and he offers us hope through Jesus Christ. He calls every one of us to trust him, to run to him, especially when life doesn't make sense. So the question is, will you do those things tonight? Will you trust him with your life and whatever your hurt may be? Will you stop pushing people away from you when you're going through the junk? Because those are the same people that want to walk alongside of you. Who want to show the love of God to you 
in your life. Guys, as, as we stand tonight, I want to challenge you to do something. As, as we get up and, and we sing this last song, I'm going to ask the musicians, and I'm going, to, I'm going to throw this on you right now because I didn't do this before. I'm going to ask you to play through one verse of the song with no words. Just the music. Is that something we can do? And here's all I want to challenge you guys to do tonight. God puts people in your life to walk alongside of you. And we see that from what Ruth does with Naomi. There's people in this room tonight that love you. There's people that may have absolutely no idea about some of the junk that's going on in your life right now. When we start the music, after I pray, I want to challenge you. Find somebody, maybe near you, maybe it's a friend across the room. Find somebody, and the two of you take turns praying for each other tonight. You don't have to tell everybody what's going on in your life. You don't have to open up and tell them all the junk. And you don't need to know that to pray for somebody. But if, but if we're called to walk alongside of each other and to show the love of God for each other, one of the best ways we can do that is to pray for each other. I would even challenge you to do this. Find somebody you don't know and pray for them. And then when you're done praying, whether it's short or long, after they play through that first verse, they're going to come in and we're going to sing. If you're not done praying when we start singing, that's fine. Finish what you're doing. If you are, awesome. Join in and sing. And if you've got questions or you want one of these adults in this room to pray for you tonight, to pray with you, we're available. If you're not comfortable doing that, write it down on one of those orange cards. Drop it in the basket up here. I promise you, you get prayed for every single week. But look at what God does in the life of Naomi. Look at how he shows her love through her daughter-in-law. And know that that is what God does in your life. When there's junk, when there's garbage, when there's things you don't understand, God brings people alongside of you to walk through it with you. To love you and to lift you up. Don't miss that. And take the opportunity to do that with somebody tonight. Let's pray. God, we thank you. We thank you for who you are. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your son, Jesus. God, I thank you that you put people in our lives that show us what your love looks like. And God, I pray for each person in this room tonight. God, I, I don't know everybody's family background. I don't know what's going on at home. I don't know what's happened today, God, but I know there's somebody in here who's dealing with some junk tonight. God, I pray that you will help them right now to know that you love them more than anything in this world. God, when, when things don't make sense, God, you are there. And they can run to you. We can all run to you. God, I pray for each person in this room. I pray for their salvation, that they put their faith and trust in you. To know, God, that your son died on a cross for their sin, for my sin. But to know that he beat death and he beat sin. And he walked out of that tomb three days later, God. And he offers us forgiveness. God, help us to pray for each other. Help us to love each other the way that you've called us to. Help us. Help us to speak truth and love into each other's lives tonight. It's in Jesus' name we pray. That's what I didn't pray with.